0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Happy New Year. It's 2021. So excited to bring you some brand new episodes on Strip I But before we get started with New Year, I'm actually taking a little bit of a break. So I'm going to be giving you a little bonus episode this week. It was from my guest lecture at Florida State University this past November. So if you were listening here for a long time, it's a little bit different than the one I Conducted in June. This one here is a bit more on the resiliency and um, how COVID has affected sex workers, but of course, drawing parallels between North American sex work, specifically in Canada and the USA, and my thoughts on it, and just a little bit on how I got started with the podcast, what my background is, what my experience with sex work has been. So please feel free to enjoy this hour long bonus episode. And we'll catch you guys in for another episode next week. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. And enjoy!
1: because I want to take attendance and we have Steph who is going to talk to us. She um, has she does a lot I'll let her introduce her overall life (laughs) but the reason that I found out about her was through her podcast called Stripped by Sia and I highly recommend that you check it out and like subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast or on Spotify or wherever um it's very interesting (laughs) um so I'm gonna turn it over to you and I'll make you a guest host so that you can show your powerpoint if you have one do you have one
0: No, not this time, no. (laughs) No,
1: That's even better. Um, Last time I made somebody a host, when they left, the whole class ended, and it was just uh, whatever. So we'll
0: we'll just let you do your thing. Awesome. It'll be very similar to last time, so I'll just be chatting, (laughs) and I'll interject with some questions as well, because I really, really encourage if anyone has questions, please ask away. So, yes. (laughs) Awesome. Did you want me to get started? (laughs) Yeah. Are you ready? Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And of course... Let's um, do it. (laughs) Of course, yes, it is a big day for all you guys down south because I'm based in Canada. So again, I am not taking up too much time every day. So this will roughly take about an hour. And then I do want to leave some time at the end of class for some questions. So again, like please ask away. Um, Thank you again, Alicia, for... This opportunity to speak again, I had so much fun last time. So I spoke last time in June uh, with a very similar presentation, but I actually added a whole bunch more this time around and kind of catered it to this class because obviously every cohort is different. So thank you again. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I'm incredibly honored. Like I was like, oh, this is great. And um, I have a lot to say, so I will do my best in checking the chat function here and there um, kind of as I dive between topics, because basically it's going to be one big, long talk from me over the next hour, so uh, yeah, basically we're going to be talking about sex work, we're going to be talking about how I got started, how I got started with the podcast, um, comparisons with sex work in Canada and the US, there are a lot of similarities, believe it or not, also with around the world too, I can add that in there, Um, safety measures and protocols, coronavirus resiliency how sex workers are dealing with that because it's very heavy right now there's a lot of us are like, struggling a lot but i'll get more into detail about that later as well as some trauma of uh, how it affects personal relationships business relationships destigmatization and all of that so i'm going to do my best in trying to pack this all in within the hour and of course i really am going to try to be respectful on your time too because i'm sure you guys want to just see what's happening with the polls too and it's nighttime over there it's it's the afternoon for me right now so but anyways i'm gonna get started uh basically who who am i (laughs) So I am Steph Sia, aka Kimchi is my stage name. <laughs> I am the host of the podcast Strip by Sia, and that was something that I started last year, and it is a podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people is <laughs> my tagline. So I guess now I can say I am a former exotic dancer, I'm no longer dancing, I will get into that later. Clubs are closed, coronavirus took over, and I'm having to pivot and shift my life right now. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm that, so, or was that, also was a former sugar baby for a few years, and also a digital content creator as well. So I'm based in Vancouver, BC, so just above Seattle, it's the West Coast times, wonderfully rainy outside, <laughs> as true Vancouver weather is, and basically... I created this podcast to help destigmatize the sex industry through storytelling and the lived experiences of sex workers. So I found out that there was a need for the podcast, or maybe that was just me just being really interested and really invested in the topic. And I'm a huge podcast junkie, so I listen to a lot of crazy stuff. Anything to do with true crime or maybe some self-help things, um... (laughs) NPR, uh, hacking, like, I just listen to everything. I'm a huge nerd. So when it came to stripper podcasts, there there are actually a lot out there, <laughs> believe it or not. There's a lot of stripper-driven podcasts out there, um, but they're more so focused on how to make money, how to, like, up your hustle game, and, like, how to just make stacks. And that's great and all, but there there are a lot out there, and I personally suck, as a freelance dancer so that's not where my (laughs) expertise lies and for me I really wanted to come at an angle where I can really educate the masses and for me podcasting is an opportunity to learn I've learned so many different niches and so many different things by just listening to podcasts so I thought that this would be a great medium to try and teach people and again try to destigmatize The sex industry because as you know there's just so much out there with the media and so many things that society says that are myths that are incorrect and that are dangerous to this line of work and this profession so and another reason why I'm here today is to speak to you on that so so basically yeah it was a huge opportunity for me to talk and gather some listeners and educate and yeah there's for the podcast there's a lot of sex workers that listen to it probably makes up the majority of my podcast audience but there are a lot of uh non-sex workers on there that listen as well or what we'd like to call in our lingo civilians or civvies so and there are a lot of you guys too so there's about 54 percent in canada and then 30 percent of american listeners and then everyone else is all around the world which i think is really 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 cool so Back to the story, so <laughs> lots of tangents. Um, but I basically started the podcast uh, just over a year ago in 2019. I was working at the strip club. I was doing my thing. I was chatting with one of the regulars there, and that particular regular made a comment about, "Hey, like strippers are really interesting people, and there's so many different stories uh, that are associated with them, and they all come from different backgrounds and." stripper life and the stripper scene it seems really cool and I thought that was a really particularly interesting statement and I further inquired and was like okay well what do you mean by that and he's like oh well all of you guys have influencers you guys come from different backgrounds and obviously you make a lot of money doing this kind of work and I that kind of statement really stuck with me and I was really curious about it so I stuck with that and kind of rolled with it so it's interesting here so particularly here in western canada strippers are almost like influencers (laughs) which i find really interesting and uh, bizarre at the same time but a lot of us have quite a number of followers like 50k 100k like they have these large uh they've amassed this large amount of following and i thought that was interesting and i thought okay, maybe there's some truth to this statement. Maybe like what this guy said, maybe this actually makes a little sense. And I wanted to dig deeper into that. So I really wanted to obviously destigmatize the sex industry. That was the main thing I wanted to do, but also showcase these stories that my stripper colleagues had. Because again, we come from so many different places, so many different backgrounds. And Again, I really wanted to showcase the real stories, not something that's been fabricated through other people, through news outlets and whatnot. So, yeah, so I've been basically podcasting for just over a year. It's been really, really interesting. I've had the privilege of meeting so many great performers and individuals and covered so many different, pro- like, um, subjects. And it all relates to sex work. So where, uh, where, whereas it's... um. It can be uh, strippers, it can also be escorts, there's audience members, I just interviewed a client of a full service sex worker, we go into kink, all the different kinds of kinks, we've gone into porn, porn production, Um, so much stuff. There has been like a ton of guests that have been on the show and I've learned a lot through them. So it's a very, very interesting podcast that I do every single week. So again, when you guys have time, feel free to go ahead and take it a listen. If you're interested in this kind of stuff, it really really go into detail each week and we cover just a lot of topics which I think that you guys might find interesting and also might be uh, useful in your line of work with dealing with clients because there's a lot of things. as I said, there's a lot of things to be mentioned there, but also not to be ignored. So (laughs) that's just some back back, uh, round about the podcast there, but you're probably wondering how did I get involved with sex work? But before we get into that topic, I want to ask the audience and the class here what your definition of sex work is or what do you think that means? And feel free to write into the chat box there. I'll give you guys about a couple, maybe like 30 seconds to write it in. <laughs> I want to be more engaging this time around. So <laughs> I want to know what your, your definitions are. So um, feel free to write it in um, because, again, it's completely su- subjective. So work that involves sex is what I'm hearing from uh, Jonah or Joanna. Thank you for that. Jonah. Jonah. Thank you so much for your contribution there. Yeah. Um, any they other? should know what it is. We went over it last week. Oh, perfect. This so a <laughs> it's a good test. It's a good test. We have performing sexual acts for compensation from Anir, Anir Glenn. Thank you. Any other definitions or contributions? Anyone who works in a sexual capacity with clients. Great. These are all awesome. These are so good. Alicia, did you want to go ahead and define it? <laughs> Um, Actually, I want to hear your definition. What do you think? Yeah, definitions, they all vary, right? And also, sorry, Emily, I just missed you here. Um, I think it creates sex positivity. Yes, it does. Thank you. Absolutely. So my definition, um, any sexual act or sexualized performance in exchange for money or influence, um, that's kind of my definition as a really broad stroke. Uh, Alicia, how would you professionally describe it? (laughs) Well... I love that definition, um, but any, any
1: work involving sex or um, sexually related things, Ash. we'll just say things, I don't have a better word, <laughs> That's okay. for, for any kind of compensation, mm-hmm. or I like your um, influence. Right.
0: definition that's great yeah there's, that, that's true there's, there's so many different ways of getting compensated so it doesn't always have to be a monetary exactly. value it could be through influence it could also be through gifts sponsorship uh vacation mm-hmm. stuff like that so it really just depends on what your definition is and what you're comfortable with but um thank you everyone all great great definitions there they're all correct <laughs> awesome so yeah there's again there's so many different kinds of sex work Um, and what we discuss in my podcast, we discuss anything to do with stripping, escorting, um, where is my list here, this huge list, uh, prostitution, camming, porn, fetish work, full service sex work, and so, so, so much more. So there's just a lot out there and they all have, uh, different kind of details, um, and also different types of involvement as well, which I'll try to go go into, um, more so in terms of an overview, but later on in the show. So Uh, I am a sex worker, (laughs) and I guess my first foray into sex work was actually back when I was an undergrad, many, many years ago. (laughs) And my roommate at the time kind of intrigued me about paid dates, and I didn't know what that was. I was like, okay, so you go on a date, you get paid what, what do you do? What, what entails, like, what does that even mean? (laughs) And I didn't really know what that meant. I just had come out of a breakup. And I also just, you know, with a breakup, I moved out as well Was living in a roommate situation. And I was like, okay, well, I need money anyways, let's go give it a try. And she mentioned that her and a couple of friends were on this website that you may have, may or may not have heard of, and it's called Seeking Arrangement. And it's a major way, a website where it connects uh, potential sugar daddies with um, <laughs> typically students. <laughs> typically students, but usually um, those who identify as women. And they're usually quite younger, not as affluent. They don't usually have a lot of money. Um, these are just typically the people that are on the site. So uh, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I didn't really know exactly what it really meant so yes there are cases of yes you can just simply go on a date you could go for dinner and you can get paid but there's an underlying notion there too and a lot of the expectation there is that you are to have sex with this affluent person and they will pay for your time so that's a lot of the cases. And of course, as I mentioned, there are a lot of cases too where you can, you can kind of negotiate what your arrangement will be. So whether it's in the form of gifts or a vacation, or maybe he's going to be paying for your rent or something. So again, like what we why I asked what the definition was earlier of sex work, again, you can be compensated in different ways. So... Again, I was on this website trying to meet these wealthy men and trying to make money and living the life (laughs) in a certain capacity. And But then again, I mean, I was really naive in not knowing that it was actual sex work. And I didn't really know that sex work was involved. And I feel like a lot of the women that go on these sites, they're also unaware of this Detail. <laughs> I don't want to say it's an obvious detail because it wasn't obvious to me when I joined. So, again, it was really confusing, but I thought, okay, sex is powerful. I can use this to my advantage. And to me, this gave me a lot of power. But then again, it also gets really exhausting. I did this for a few years. I did this about th- three or four years of sugaring. And after a while, it just loses its appeal. At least for me, it did. And I just stopped because I wanted to adult (laughs) and be responsible. So that was kind of my first foray into um, sex work without actually knowing that it was sex work. So I guess a year after that, I started pole dancing and I started pole dancing specifically for fitness. That was my main goal is I'm going to get in shape. I've always wanted to do pole dancing. I've always wanted to try this and For me, it was a great way to get in shape, but I didn't want anything to do with, oh, isn't pole dancing for strippers? Isn't it for exotic dancers? Like, do I have to take off my clothes? (laughs) Like again, all these question marks. And basically I had started pole dancing because the studio uh, that I teach at and um, attend, it was across the street from my office. And then I was like, okay, okay, I will give this a try. I'll try this on my lunch break and it's it's written as like lower intensity which is perfect so I didn't want to come back all sweaty and (laughs) so was like okay let's give it a try so I walk in again I'm bombarded with just images of what I thought at the time were strippers so scantily clad women huge um pleasers so the platform shoes and i was like what am i getting myself into are these all strippers i was super nervous i didn't know what to do but i had fun in class and i had such a great time that i decided to stay (laughs) and also to learn more about the people that taught there too so some of them were former or current strippers at the time which i thought was really really interesting but then it also like begged the question why was i carrying this stigma with me why was I ashamed of or not like unknowingly ashamed of not wanting to participate in a type of movement that's related to stripping so those kind of questions were already starting to like come into my mind I'm like I'm not sure why there's this um, uncomfortability there so but again I was curious and then I was actually Preparing for some pole dancing competitions, and I just thought for some reason a great way to get myself back on stage because I hadn't performed or done any kind of sporting activity in a long time <laughs> since university in my cheerleading days. I was like, okay, gotta get rid of the nerves. Let's try to see if we can um, find a place where I can pole dance on stage or something. And my friend had told me about an amateur night that was happening. And of course, naive old me was like, okay, amateur night. Yeah, that sounds cool. I know how to pole dance a little bit. That sounds great. I'll dance on stage. I have a little bit of rhythm. I'll be okay. But then, <laughs> again, not knowing that you had to get fully nude. So <laughs> I feel like I feel like this is a common question to you. Like, do you have to fully get nude on stage? And the answer is yes. And I got super scared. But I was like, nope, I'm already here. I'm going to go do it. And I actually had so much fun doing it. So I was like, this is great. I'm going to keep practicing at this. I I don't know what this is, but something inside of me was like, this is awesome. I love where this energy is taking me. This is cool. So I did a lot more of these amateur nights, becoming more comfortable with my body and be comfortable with sex work and getting money and getting paid for this. It was really fascinating to me. But then again, um, I was working in an office at the time. And, of course, these reservations and these assumptions that I had with stripping, they started coming out. And the whole shame part started coming out as well. And I just had to ask myself, okay, like, I just have so many hesitations because I kept getting job offers from the strip clubs. They're like, you are really great. Why aren't you working for us yet? What is happening? Like, And I'm just like, uh, like, no, I work... A civilian job like this is no I have nothing to do with stripping but then again because they're a critical thinker I'm like what is happening why am I questioning all this and again these hesitations just in terms of like scheduling balancing with my civilian job how am I going to hide my the, like this sex work profession what about the shame and stigma that comes from it how will I be treated differently and what will like my peers and my family think of me so All of this came to mind and forced me to kind of dig deeper and also just try to address where this is coming from. And I feel like I still am trying to figure out why I had that growing up. But I think, again, it's just being bombarded by all these things that society tells you that, okay, that these are not okay professions, it's not allowed, and just the whole negativity around sex work. So yes but then again i became really open-minded after that so (laughs) yay um i know that there's usually generally a lot of curiosity um i'm sorry were there any questions in terms of like how i got started with sex work or anything at all before i dive into more of like logistics because i know that people are always curious about strippers and and sex work in general and how that all thing works especially in canada it's a little bit different any questions you feel free to write in the chat box i'll wait a couple seconds Did you dance at all before um, you started or tried pole dancing? Like, did you ever take, like, dance classes or anything like that? I did at the age of six.
1: (laughs) So I did. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I took ballet when I was six. And I took some drop-in dance class lessons, like hip-hop and street jazz and, like, pussycat dolls dance back in the day um, for fun. So I didn't have really any formal dance experience and I was not very good at those hip-hop classes so I would not even really count that at all but those yep. are yeah like all the type of sensual movement I learned in this particular pole dancing studio and honestly most of it just came from um, me getting over my my own body and being comfortable and getting touch with my feminine side and also the sensual side as well so Again, those were all learned things, and I really love that type of movement. It's, It feels great. Yeah, because I, I danced, like, when I was, like, younger. Oh, okay. And, like, any type of, like, in my head, like, any type of performing was, like, that's what it was. It was just performing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I was, like, maybe, maybe like, that's so why you've had the preconceived con- conception that, like, pole dancing was bad. Because I've taken a class, and it's hard. It's so hard. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's really hard. And I remember, like, when I used to go to strip clubs, I'm like, wow, like, that, like, it's basically acrobatics. So it's like Cirque du Soleil on a pole, yeah, basically. it is. It really is. <laughs> it's a lot of upper body strength and, and core that you have to engage and a lot of correct body positioning, too, because obviously you can get hurt in it as well. But it's a leg- it's a legitimate sport, so... And um, they're actually observing for pole dancing to be in the Olympics as well. So it's on the watch category at the moment. So keep in mind, you might be seeing (laughs) us on the Olympic stage one of these days. But um, Megan, I never knew about amateur nights. Yep, there are definitely amateur nights. Uh, I'm not sure about what it's like in Florida, but I'm sure there are some like absolutely it usually occurs like once a month or the first of every month or something it it depends on the strip club but it's something you can definitely look into um but of course i I feel i mean with covid and everything uh things are a bit different at least in canada a lot of the places had closed down which i'll get into later and have reopened but at uh different protocols and stuff like that too so Yeah, I guess we'll go into stripper logistics. (laughs) Thanks for those wonderful questions, guys. I really appreciate that. Um, So, yeah. So, stripping logistics. uh, I know that the last class was really interested in this, so we'll quickly go over uh, this and in terms of, like, how things are working right now as well. So, in terms of stripping logistics, to dance on stage, at least in Western Canada, you have to be represented by an agency in order to get booked. So, you can't just uh, walk in and be like, "I want to dance tonight. Uh, you can freelance, which is different, which means you're working the floor. It's also called uh, VIP or VIPing as well, where you can pay a sum of money uh, at the big- beginning of the night to uh, the DJ or whoever is taking that cut and you'll get a cut of the money later on. Um, and you get you charge basically per song. Um, But to be dancing on stage stage, like on the main stage, you typically need to have an agency because there is a bit of a schedule and rotation um, that rotates like weekly. So um, that's just how that works. And also we are considered as independent uh, contractors or self-employed. So just in case anyone was was curious about that. Um, But there's a new surge of of sex work too. And I don't want to say it's really new, but um online sex work is huge um it's a huge 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 field and especially now with coronavirus and (laughs) the pandemic and just a lot of people having to work at home or do solo work and stuff like that digital content creation uh or content marketing is huge right now so um I guess with stripping it's kind of normal for you to gain loyal followers or regulars that visit you and stuff too and of course like where you're like a place for you to advertise where you're going to be dancing next and for them to keep up with you so I had a lot of people asking me to start an OnlyFans, uh, OnlyFans page um before when I was stripping and I started that last year too which is where you can basically create your own content uh which people can pay and subscribe to you can create uh custom videos for them there sell them at whatever price you want uh, there's camera shows that you can also do there, there where people can tip you. So there's a lot of that right now. I'm sure everyone has heard of OnlyFans or maybe you haven't. Um, <laughs> does everyone know OnlyFans? You can put your hand up or yeah, not, or <laughs> Yes. So, I mean, there's been a lot of the OnlyFans uh, talk in the news lately too with the whole like Bella Thorne. Uh, scandal that came out earlier a couple months ago I did a big episode on that because we were all very very angry about it so um yeah OnlyFans eh, yeah so I'm gonna try to go into it a little bit now but also a little bit later as it relates to coronavirus and the pandemic and stuff too so um there has been a lot of people that have been joining OnlyFans uh that includes regular civilians so people such as yourselves but also celebrities as well. So I think Beyonce has uh, an OnlyFans. We, as I said, we have Bella Thorne. We have lots of different models and stuff that are on there now too. So there's a huge controversy with Bella Thorne, who's a Disney actress, I think she, or was a Disney actress. And she had this whole thing about, okay, I'm going to start an OnlyFans uh, in terms of, uh, it'll be research for a film that I'm going to be partaking in at some point. And, she was she was the first person to make like $2 million in like a day or something absurd like that. I was like, wow, that's good for you. Good for you. But then she pretty much scammed her fans too. She's like, okay, $200 for a private naked photo of me. And then she did not deliver that to her fans. So... Uh, there's a lot of uh, frustration with that because a lot of us do do that and that is a part of our well-being it's a, a big chunk of how we make money now especially with clubs closed um, in light of the pandemic so that's been really frustrating also the oversaturation of how many people have been joining OnlyFans has really really hurt our industry as well there's a and there's nothing wrong if you want to if you want to start an OnlyFans, but I just feel, um, there's a lot of people wanting to get into sex work right now as a, as a form of income and it can be a really great form of income. But again, as I started with sex work, not knowing the actual work part in sex work and like what that actually means and entails. So it's more than just taking off her clothes and it's more than just okay this is this is gonna be easy it's really not so there's a lot of marketing there's a lot of consistency content creation and collaboration with others distribution working with photographers reference checking filtering like the list really honestly goes on and on and it's pretty much a full-time job and I feel like a lot of people do not understand the work part of it which makes it really dangerous and they're not really sure what what uh, to price things at or or pricing structures too. Or them lowballing um, like your OnlyFans membership accounts and or just like charging less for you know what should be priced a bit higher and just not knowing. So it's become a really frustrating area, at least personally for me and also with a lot of my other colleagues as well just it not being as fruitful now and just too many people being involved. But again, like not everyone is is cut out for this line of work. Uh, There is like a big, big, big mental and emotional aspect that comes with it. And I feel like that typically gets left out of the picture a lot. So people who start in sex work, they're sometimes not mentally prepared for it And also just unaware of like how physical the job can be and how it can take a big, big toll on you. So, um, which is where all of you guys come into play. So this is why this type of training and handling is super, super necessary in our society. So again, thank you all future (laughs) counselors and therapists (laughs) in the room here. We do need more of you guys, um, to, pe- to take training like this, and also just to again educate the masses. So, ah, where are we now? So, I want to go into choice uh, versus coercion uh, in terms of like the, the distinction around that. Was there anything in terms of like logistics that I can cover for anybody, or we're okay for right now? And again, if you do, if you guys have more questions, feel free to type in the chat box at any time. I'm going to try to do my best in flipping back and forth, but also. I'll leave more time at the end of class, hopefully, to discuss more things. But uh, I'm seeing zero things in chat, so that's okay. I think we're just okay to move on then. So choice versus coercion. I just want to be clear that I fully chose to be in this industry. Um, Again, like for me, it was a no-brainer with my pole dancing skills I'm a little bit of an exhibitionist like I it was okay this makes sense to me but there is a common misconception among sex workers that you know we've come from an abusive past there's been substance abuse issues there and it is a big big stereotype that obviously has been perpetuated by the media and society as I've said before but it isn't indicative of all sex workers so um that parallel that is constantly drawn, I just feel is is so so old and outdated. And I'm just I'm not, I'm not even really sure where that even started. But again, we're all not drugged up. We're all not addicted to things. We like none of like some of us have had a beast of past before. And I'm not going to discount um, those that have had traumatic incidents like that. Um, but There needs to be a distinction between those who are fully willing and consenting to be in this line of work, whereas there are groups of people like street-based sex workers, survival sex workers, people that are pimped out um, and forced into this line of work, and it's dangerous to mush those two together there is a very 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 big differentiation between the two so i just want to make sure that was <laughs> that messaging was perpetuated there so i just feel like a lot of time society often forgets that people choose to do this line of work and most importantly that people that are in this line of work that we actually enjoy doing it there is a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment that comes in sex work and to me it just needs to be treated as a regular job <laughs> it just needs to be normalized so that's where I feel with therapists and sex workers I'm sorry therapists and social workers that you would need to kind of vi- like view this in a really transparent way and not have any kind of apprehensions about oh oh there's a trigger there okay she's a sex worker okay then it's going to start spewing in. Okay, she might have been this. She might have been that. You have to let go of that and this. Just see it as like a regular job. So, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Again, it is really just dangerous to label all sex workers as a result of coercion. So, and what I mean by dangerous, I mean it in the fact that it it really misses a bunch of things here. And what I what I mean it misses um, things it. it It discounts that it's a legitimized line of work, um, that sex work can be done safely and also responsibly, and forces sex workers underground, which is dangerous. And (laughs) I wanted to talk about uh, going into, I guess, the similarities and the differences between Canada and the U.S., And I think you might be surprised that there are actually a lot of similarities in how we view sex work in Canada and how it's treated here, as well as how it is received in the United States as well. So um, we're just going to go into it. I see some enthusiastic yeses here in the chat box. (laughs) Yay! Yes! (laughs) Perfect. So yeah, let's get right into it. So Canada and the U.S. So In Canada, believe it or not, it actually is legal to sell sex. It is legal to sell sexual services, but um, it's pretty confusing and contradictory. So there's just a lot of laws surrounding it, which makes it virtually impossible. So what I mean by that, so we have a bill, and it's called Bill 36 in Canada, and that criminalizes the purchase of sex, but decriminalizes its sale. Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) You know, there's always this confusing uh, jargon and lingo. So basically, it forbids negotiating sexual service in public certain, um, certain public spaces, uh, financially benefiting off the sale of someone's sexual services, or knowingly advertising sexual services. So that stuff is illegal. And this has been in law. Uh, this was introduced back in 2014 by the conservative government, which is basically the equivalent of sales right-wing government in, uh, the states. So, it's deemed unconstitutional and it's just so, so problematic in so many different ways. So, I'll just go through a couple, my list here, a couple points. It makes it really difficult for sex workers to negotiate their terms of service safely. It makes advertising virtually impossible. Um, under this bill, sex workers cannot communicate their services through third-party service, through that through third parties either so escort agencies working independently those who lack resources etc makes it illegal to live on the material benefits of sex work so you can't spend that money and prohibits brothels to operate so as you can see it does a lot more harm than good and there are um groups that are working to abolish this bill but of course, with as with Canada, I'm sure in the States too, it takes forever for any kind of changes to be made. But what I want to bring to light here is that Bill 36, it, it, it really forces sex workers to go underground and resulting in putting themselves at a much, much greater risk. Um, again, limiting spaces where sex workers may advertise. It restricts where sex workers may operate. So they risk bringing unvetted, potentially harmful individuals into their workplace, which also might be their home, which subjects them to further danger and other harmful circumstances. I just wanna ask a question to everyone here in class. Does this bill kind of sound familiar to anyone? Is there any kind of parallels that you guys can draw to things in the United States? I'm asking this to the audience, so feel free to write in the chat box if you want to yell it out, Um, if there's something similar there, if not, I'm going to go right into it, so I'll give you guys a couple seconds there, and I hear crickets, okay, so are you familiar with Salsa Festa, crickets, (laughs) it's okay, we'll go into it, so um foster sesta we haven't is... talked about it yet oh F. oh you haven't yeah. okay but you will this is something i'll be talking about yes yes please Oh, good okay yes okay so it's a huge thing and this was introduced in 2018 by the trump administration so Fosta sesta what does it stand for it stands for fight online sex trafficking act sesta uh stop enabling sex traffickers act so this was introduced in 2018, again, uh, by Trump. So to combat sex trafficking online and in online personal sites. So Backpage, Craigslist, back in the day when they still existed, they no longer exist. You cannot have those types of websites anymore. You cannot advertise. Stuff like that. So like Bill 36, it, it's, again, very, very similar and also problematic because it. Combines both consensual and non-consenting sex workers with no differentiation between the kinds of sex worker sex workers um, and types of sex work. So again, this can be problematic because sex workers are finding themselves in riskier situations where they have no ability to filter. It subjects them to potentially more like dangerous predators as well. It's very, very similar. It's basically the American equivalent of Bill 36. So, again, a lot of those reasonings that I wrote about, uh, wrote about, wrote about, and talked about earlier, I have a lot of notes (laughs) Uh, that I mentioned earlier, um, also applies here in the States. So, again, just putting sex workers in dangerous places by removing what they need to advertise, where they can sell, where they can operate, where does that leave sex workers? (laughs) Again, if they have to become resourceful and they start going underground where they aren't protected anymore. And it's a huge, huge, huge um, problem. It's a big issue that both us Canadians here and also uh, you all in the States and the Americans are facing so I definitely want to bring that to light and Alicia if you're teaching that to your students that is great (laughs) lots it's a big topic and honestly you could have an entire class dedicated to that but I just wanted to acknowledge that point too and I feel like I'm talking a lot (laughs) in this class which is which is good I mean I, I want you guys to learn as much as you guys can so I guess um with that we'll go into safety measures and protocols So again, on that same line in terms of what can be done or what needs to be done in order to protect sex workers, can anyone think of any ways where sex workers can be protected? And I'll I'll just leave a couple seconds here in case anybody wants to chime in. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> I'll be checking the chat box later in case I miss anything. But of course, yeah, like obviously laws need to be changed. They need to be recognized. Like sex work in general just needs to be recognized as a legitimized profession. And again, like we need to be providing space, um, safe spaces for our sex workers and having places where people can operate normally in a, in a safe um, kind of capacity. So we would like to see, I mean, we would, I would like to see personally more funding towards research regarding sex work, more funding towards resources. So uh, I live in Vancouver. And for example, like we have a this great nonprofit organization here in Vancouver called Wish and they just opened Canada's first emergency shelter specifically based for sex workers, which I think is really, really cool. I'm not sure if the U.S. or, or even just Florida, if they have anything for that. But it's really, really progressive, to me at least, to see that um, progress is being made in this kind of way that, okay, there is a, like the sex industry is huge, especially this, the street and survival sex work trade in Vancouver it's pretty big and it's really interesting to see that the city is taking care of these sex workers providing great spaces for them that where they can shower they have accommodation there they can rest they they have access to a hot meal um also access to some programs such as like literacy helping with employment and stuff like I think that's really great and also um again another stride in the right direction so I personally think that we would need more of this, these resources. I see, a re- oh, here, I see something here. Can be more protected when sex workers work in a group. Yeah, definitely, for sure. However, not uh, not all sex workers have that um, privilege or their line of work won't allow them to work in groups either. So, for example, if we're thinking about full-service sex workers, um especially on the street, it's pretty uncommon. Um, unless you're an escort and you're doing some kind of duo um, type of work, then I can see that happening. But there are, of course, limitations to the type of sex work that you do. But great response there. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> but yeah, so those are just a couple of ideas um, and some examples uh, where society and whatever city you're in can make strides in the right direction. So... And for sex workers, safety is also important. So obviously, do your own research, reference check, ask for a deposit when you can. When um, If it's available, conduct a background check. As Megan said, try to bring someone with you or if you can work in a group or work with a partner or someone that you trust, also try to do that if safe. Um, conceal your background. Do not make yourself identifiable. Maybe use an alias or a stage name. And seek out some helpful sex work resources. So there's tons of stuff available nowadays that are basically um, accessible to, at the edge of your fingertips. So stuff like Reddit. Um, there are so many Discord groups as well. Uh, podcasts, I mean, such as mine, but blogs, articles, publications. There's There's so many articles out there. Just ask for help and especially... If you're struggling, or if you, even if you're new, I feel like when you're new, you probably would need the most guidance. So just keep those in mind. So I feel like I'm talking a lot today. I'm gonna quickly go over coronavirus <laughs> and resiliency, and this is such a big topic too. So obviously, well, when I spoke to the class in in June, that was in the beginning um, of lockdown, and. <sighs> We're still here, <laughs> which is boggling my mind. And it's just so exhausting for sex workers. So I did a whole mini series in terms of uh, COVID-19 and how different types of sex workers are dealing and how we are trying to remain resilient through this Unprecedented times. I hate that. I hate that saying. <laughs> but it's true. And I just want to say that this, the struggle is definitely real. Um, as a former dancer myself, so my income has been cut significantly. And I know that a lot of my colleagues are also feeling the same. They've been forced to take civilian jobs, uh, make money elsewhere. Uh, a lot of them are, are really trying to struggle, uh, sorry, hustle online. And try to take their work online, so with OnlyFans, a lot of subscription sites, camming sites. Um, but in Canada, we actually did have a number of different options in regards to financial aid, which helped with uh, income stabilization. So most prominently, we had the Canada Emergency Response Benefit program, which was a whopping eighty-one point six billion dollars, <laughs> which was spent. But this was helped to um, this was introduced to help Canadians. So Canadians who helped, uh, sorry, Canadians who applied for CERB, they were entitled to $2,000 every four weeks from March to September for up to seven periods. And I'm only mentioning this program. There were other programs as well, but I'm mentioning this program because it was significant in terms of sex workers were actually eligible to receive this payout. And I feel like a lot of the times in general, sex workers are always left out of the equation. So it was really cool that... Um, sex workers and independent contractors were able to apply for this fund and we basically were able to make up $2,000 a month and then still able to um, apply for the $2,000 CERB payout as well. So I thought that was helpful but obviously it's nowhere near uh, what most people were making when they were still dancing or when they were still touring around Canada and stuff. So it's been really difficult and. I mentioned earlier in the class that a lot of work is moving online. So there has been a huge, huge increase in paid subscription-based services like OnlyFans, AdmireMe, um, LoyalFans, other like videos, um, video sites and clip sites you can make as well. And more people kind of gently foraying into camming and pornography. So it's it's been interesting because there's a lot of people, as I mentioned, a lot of civilians have started joining in to the whole OnlyFans bandwagon, (laughs) therefore saturating the market a bit. But there has been also an increase uh, with solo work. So obviously with the pandemic, a lot more people, I would say, they're a little bit more hesitant to include other performers. So There's a lot of solo work. There's a lot of people trying to do their own thing, creating their own content since we're at home all day now too. Um, I guess in the porn world, there's a lot of temperature checks on site. Negative COVID tests are mandatory in addition to the standard STI and HIV testing. uh, Stripping-wise, strip clubs were open for a little bit, at least here in Vancouver. And then most of them, unfortunately, have shut down. And this is also across Canada as well that I feel like we're just about to go into a second wave (laughs) unfortunately and a lot of things are starting to shut down again um we have a curfew now for any nightlife areas so non-food primary bars and restaurants and lounges um they have to close like their curfew is 10 o'clock now so yeah it's pretty crazy because our numbers at least in Vancouver they're a lot higher like for Halloween weekend I think we had a thousand cases that weekend, which is alarming for us because we we had very, very relatively low numbers in the beginning of COVID, like maybe like 200. And then now it's just <laughs> spiraling out of control again. But I mean, we're all trying to adapt at this time. So um, it's been a really, really tricky and challenging time for most. Like a lot of people are even trying to open strip clubs online too, like virtual strip clubs where like you people can tip there's an option for that during the show so there's a lot of ways again that sex workers are trying to remain resilient and also just keep going and trying to basically basically trying to survive because <laughs> it's it's a question of survival at this point so um were are there any questions in regards to coronavirus sex work um and thanks alicia uh <laughs> by the way i'm doing great yay <laughs> um i just wanted to yeah ask if there were any questions in regards to um sex workers having to pivot us being have to be more um being more resourceful
1: Didn't, i think i read it was probably in the states though about a drive through
0: strip oh, club yeah. Yeah, in Do Portland. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Boober eats Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was great. I'm, I've been hoping to get um, the owners on the show to speak about oh. that. Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. That would be super cool because, again, the whole resiliency movement and and trying to bring, like, the club to you also with a nice meal. Like, I think that's so resourceful and creative and also still um, employing your your dancers, you know that's so important it's just unfortunate because again with the strip clubs here I could speak just here in Canada and Vancouver just everything has closed again and like I think one of the main clubs here they don't have any uh, stage dancers anymore and there are freelancers and VIPs that can walk around but then you can't give any lap dances so like how are you making money because the main source for income is selling those dances so, and then if there's, if you take away the whole stage element, part of it is, it's like, oh my gosh, how is anyone able to survive now? So it's been really hard. And a lot of us have been really missing work. Just, and also just like the social aspect of it all too. Like coronavirus has affected everyone in so many different ways, but definitely mentally. There's so many things, I think, that we took for granted before. Um, I mean, just, like, seeing your friends and your family, like, that's just stuff that we can't really do nowadays, and we have, like, a a maximum of six people back in effect again in Vancouver, and household parties and gatherings are not allowed, so it's been an interesting time, for sure, but you just gotta try to stay positive and And just be in check with yourself and make sure that, you know, you're doing whatever you need in terms of, like, self-care or anything to kind of keep your head above water. So just wanted to add that in there. (laughs) Okay. um, I also want to talk a little bit about trauma. And I'm almost done here, so I know you guys probably want to end class soon. (laughs) But I will... (laughs) I also want to check the polls, too, see where you guys are at and keep up with politics. But um, we'll quickly go into a little bit of trauma. I know you guys have a big class on that. But there's also a big like mix, misconception, mix misconception that all sex workers, again, have experienced some sort of trauma. And there are certainly individuals that have experienced this. I, myself, one of them. Um, and I did talk about overcoming sexual assault, um, as well in one of my episodes, episode eight, if you want to listen to that, you can. Um, but I'm not sure if there really is any correlation between, uh, sexual assault and going into sex work. Um, I just really don't know. There probably might just be more, have to be more research on that, but there's a lot of different theories maybe. Maybe it's a form of, validation sex sexual liberation uh, maybe it's their own version of taking control of what was previously taken from them there's a lot of reasons and i'm kind of going into why do people go into sex work because apparently that's apparently it's a big question and it kind of boggles my mind a little bit too because would you ask your friend who's a doctor why they became a doctor would you ask uh alicia why she got into teaching and counseling and um mostly the reason is because they want to right again we're going back to that choice versus coercion uh concept earlier and it, it is a choice so to me it's a bit bizarre why people may be theorizing about oh there must be a reason why this person got into sex work did so and it's always did something happen to them <laughs> A lot of the very, very common question at the clubs was, who hurt you? Um, what did someone do to you to land you in a job like this? Um, a lot of these type of comments, again, are really problematic to me and pretty much inappropriate, <laughs> I would say. You're making an assumption about someone and their line of work, um, assuming you don't even really know what they do. <laughs> like but um, those kind of assumptions are, it just seems a little bit taboo and like old school to be having to theorize about this type of work. So, again, it's very, very a judgmental approach, which I'm not very comfortable <laughs> with. But again, your jobs as future counselors and also therapists, like you need to be able to look at sex work independently and transparently without these biases that are fed to us, right? So you need to be able to turn that button on and off and unlearn what has been taught to you. So I think that is really, really important, especially with dealing with sex workers, Um, especially important um, that you treat your patients um, or your clients with an unbiased non-judgmental perspective. So, I believe that'll always 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 help them ultimately in the end. So, and with that, um I guess with not with traumatic uh not in terms of traumatic, but um I want to go more into personal relationships too because uh, there's usually a lot of questions about how does this affect uh your personal relationships and there's always a lot of curiosity around that as well. So, um sex work as profession yep so how it affects personal relationships um it really just depends on the individual because a lot of the questions i get or have gotten before uh either on the podcast or in other areas that i've spoken at they're like how can a sex work profession affect long term relationships have you ever seen clients in public outside of work what have their interactions been and again it really just depends on the the individual their family their own network really and it can be dichotomous it can really strengthen those personal relationships or can saturate them or sever them completely and it just really depends on the circumstance that you have with those who are you were you surrounded with so again we're going back to this whole notion that sex work is taboo and it's seen as an unacceptable um, profession so Those kind of situations can be dangerous, um, especially if you're associating yourself with people that have those, uh, those those, that hold those kind of notions, because um, I feel like you could risk abandonment, you could have physical threats, um, any kind of mental deterioration. You just got to be kind of careful in that. But um, going into relationships as a whole, any type of relationship um, that you have. Would be based on communication and trust and in my own personal relationship that was something that stemmed out of a client <laughs> basically and we you just have to have a deep un- you both have to have a deep understanding of of the line of work that you actually do you know having that non-judgmental approach and that acceptance is really really key and also the open communication and it just sounds like a generic thing to say, but it honestly is true. Um, you need to be able to communicate, okay, this is something that I do. Is this something that makes you feel uncomfortable in any way? If so, why? And where does that stem from? And if if that is an issue, then there may not. it just might not be the right fit for you. So again, being open and honest from the start is super key for that. So, but again, if it's, Something that's communicated effectively, and both parties are knowingly going into the relationship with this background knowledge, it technically should be okay. But we all know that relationships are complicated, so <laughs> that's another topic for another day. <laughs> but um, in terms of like uh, business and like uh, like business relationships versus like leisure private, uh, I've definitely seen both sides. So in terms of being a dancer, it's kind of normalized. For you to go out with some of your regulars or your clients will buy you a drink like that is completely normal I would say um but I've also ran into sugar daddy clients in public as well but I've also exercised um discreetness, always been professional that's how you should always treat it <laughs> I would say um but yeah it's, it's been it's been really interesting um all the different lines of work that I have been in and it's been I would say an experience (laughs) I would say uh, for sure and I guess um were there any questions in regards to relationships trauma any of any of those wonderful topics um if not we'll go we'll go straight into uh I guess the closing part of the talk here because I know y'all are wanting to just take a bit of rest <laughs> it's a big day for everyone down there so I just want to close out here in terms of like destigmatization um therapy social work how that all kind of loops together so again so with the podcast it started off as a passion project of mine and it turned out to be something I genuinely enjoy I really love interviewing so many different kinds of people And how it relates to sex work and also just being responsible in, um, as I say, educating the masses or or at least people who are interested in sex work um, on different topics and how that can be really, really beneficial to them. Um, So again, um, the the whole podcast centers around education and destigmatization, which I think is really needed and we need more voices such as mine that are bigger than my voice, (laughs) that um, can help understand this line of work and just help normalize it because I think that is something that really really needs to be done. Um, We're progressing in so many different ways but I feel like with sex work we're always just stuck in the medieval times. Like it just just seems silly that we're still questioning um, the legitimacy of this type of work and it's it's really frustrating but again we need to have more conversations like this. We need more people such as yourselves to be learning about this and how to deal with so many different types of people and um, and clients too. So again, as I mentioned earlier, like therapists and social workers need to treat sex workers with a blank state, blank state, blank slate. I cannot read my writing anymore. It's been a long day. I also worked this morning too. Um, but yeah, I just really wanted to kind of um, end on that, uh, on that note too, because there is a really great group here with us in class today learning about this type of work and how to deal and how to deal effectively and progressively with sex workers so I just want to kind of close out on that note and um, (laughs) again hopefully you guys have learned something today we need more classes like this so thank you Alicia again for inviting me back in the show Um, on the show Oh, gosh. The class. Oh, my goodness. I think I'm, like, ingrained to be like, okay, we're on the show recording today. I'm not. (laughs) But we need more people like sex educators and um, counselors and therapists in the field today. So, hopefully, this class has given you a bit of insight on what we do and also, like, how we deal with stigma and also how we deal with society and and people and... (laughs) negativity there's a lot of negativity around this but again just honing down that this is a choice and this is something that we want to do and and we enjoy doing it so i really really want to really want to drive that point home so yeah any questions (laughs) we'll we'll open it up if there are any curiosities or questions i can hopefully answer uh to the best of my knowledge um I'll leave a couple seconds here for people to either type in the chat box, but if you want to speak as well. Oh, we do. Amanda. So out of all the different work you do and have done, what has been your favorite? Oh gosh, that's a great question. It's honestly a mix between stripping and, and sugaring, I would say. I really enjoyed being a sugar baby when I was younger, despite having to kind of loosely navigate through it and not really know what I was doing and I really really enjoyed it I got to see some great parts of the world with it I got to achieve a lot of things with that in terms of like you know building up my savings account (laughs) and some really great things that I might not have been able to do without it so for me it's been really eye-opening but also eye-opening in a way where i there there were boundaries that i did not know that i had that and things that i I wasn't comfortable doing or not willing to do but i wasn't able to speak up back then and i feel like going through those experiences made me realize okay i need to actually vocalize this and i need to communicate better and i feel that's definitely helped me a lot um As well with uh, with stripping, I really love the performance aspect of it. That's one of my favorite things to do. Obviously, I'm a dancer and competitor and everything, but I miss connecting with the audience, and I also just really miss that because um, obviously clubs are closed. I don't know when those are going to open, and when they do open, we just don't know how that's going to operate and change. So I really miss that. I love them both, but I feel like at this point – um, I would continue with, with stripping just because it's, I'm more comfortable with that right now. And I feel like sugaring was, um, that chapter is closed already for me personally and, and that's okay. But I had fun while doing it. Um, Olivia says, I remember the Bellathorn controversy being a big problem, but it, yes, it was a big problem. But is there anything else that takes away from your work, like movies and stuff? Um, and et cetera. Hmm. I uh, in. Can you provide another example in terms of that? Like, movies yeah. Or other I, movies? I,
1: when I think of it, because my mom and I love the movie Hustlers. It's oh all- yes. Movies. Yes. So it's like things like that that kind of either puts like a misconception of what you right. do, or it's kind of like mm, that's not how it goes, you know. But it causes society to think that's what it is.
0: Yes. Yes. And I did an episode in Hustlers too. Which I, from an entertainment aspect, I loved that movie. <laughs> it was great. Like, I mean, who doesn't love J-Lo? <laughs> it I was remember so. too, since it was a true story, the yes.
1: girls that it was kind of written about, I remember them coming back and they were like, no. Like, yeah, this is
0: <laughs> exactly. And that the only problem with movies and media and TV shows um, and stuff like that is that, like, they're typically glamorized a lot. <laughs> Like that whole scene with J Lo and everyone's like throwing money at her. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like situations like that can happen, but like she <laughs> didn't even get naked, so it's like okay, like that's not gonna happen. Like, but of course, it's like a, a big blockbuster head, You can't show any nudity and stuff. I think in general, it's a great thing because it's bringing more exposure to the forefront and showing that this is a cool thing and this is something that we can actually do, and that is. a a real line of work but as you said it kind of draws us back a little bit too because we're not getting an accurate portrayal of what's actually involved but they did have um they did have uh some consultations with some sex workers which i appreciated that was a good stride but i feel like there could have been more done but at the same time then maybe it wouldn't have been as good as it was because no one likes to learn about real life sometimes. I feel like they like seeing the glitz and the glam and, and all that. And sometimes uh, it's great for film, but not the right narrative. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Rachel, uh, not a question, but I can't wait to listen to your podcast. Oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank it's great. Yeah, there's so many different topics coming up. And also, I mean, I'm on season two now, so... I'm sorry if the audio quality sucks in season one, but it's a lot better in season two. (laughs) But we do tackle a lot of uh, subjects, a lot of different professions as well. So in this season coming up, we have uh, sex work and disability. We also have like how people navigate with that. We also have uh, activism in terms of sex work, what they're doing in the UK right now um also what they're doing in america as well there's just a lot of things going on and it's called strip by sia and that's basically available on any podcast platform it's out there new episodes come out every sunday and if you have any topics that you want me to talk about please let me know I have a long list of guests I have episodes all the way up until December at the moment but I'm always looking for new and exciting guests or new topics I can really like dive into because I really want to be able to provide a really cohesive well-rounded approach to sex work so people can see it from all angles and not just pick and choose what angles they like it's good to see the nitty-gritty as well so yeah appreciate the support (laughs) <laughs> Are there any more other last-minute questions? Again, I don't want to keep everyone too long. <laughs> it's nighttime over there.
1: They're lucky they get out of class early tonight. Normally, <laughs> we go for at least an hour and a half longer. So they're they're good. They're good.
0: <laughs> Just wanted to double-check. But again, Alicia, thanks so much for having me on Thank again. You. I was. I hope that... Uh, today's speech was okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. It was wonderful.
0: It, uh, I think
1: it is really enlightening for, for us to hear, especially the part about not having preconceived notions about our clients. Yeah. Um, and just automatically, if someone, uh, shares with you that they do, they are a sex worker, um, in whatever capacity that they automatically have been traumatized or that right just as bad I think that they don't want to be in that line of work anymore and so yeah. what can you do to help them get out and that's not in something like sex trafficking yeah cool but not in the profession of sex work because I right. believe it's a legitimate profession absolutely so the laws just need to catch up
0: yes Yes, yes, 100%. We need to get out of those medieval times. This is so. Yes, yes. (laughs) Awesome. All right, well, thank you. Thank you again. And thank you. You are so welcome. We can't
1: clap in person for you, but we can do our little (laughs) reaction clap. Definitely. There we go.
0: There we go. There we go. Awesome. I'm taking a quick screenshot. (laughs) Yes, do that. I'll steal yours. (laughs) (laughs) I'll send it to you later. Sounds awesome. good. Well, thank you again
1: for coming, and I hope you have a good evening. Well, afternoon slash evening yes. when it gets to be the evening there, almost yeah. there.
0: But thanks again, yes. and oh yes, and thanks everyone for the kind comments. And uh, again, I hope you guys learned something today. But anyway, I'm signing off. Thanks yes. for having me. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Belandorama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian (laughs) Daburn.